Right, hello. Welcome to the latest edition of the Big Football Podcast. Hosting as always, full of a cold today. My name is Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening, Dan. And Khan. Evening. Um, get straight get straight on to it, gents. I hope you, you're both well. Um, we, we talked on the last episode about the impact of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, because that's where it is. It's an invasion, not a war. And the impact on football. We, we kind of extensively touched on Chelsea last week, but with the events of, of today where Chelsea have effectively, to all intents and purposes, been taken over by the UK government, confiscated almost, um, and you have sponsors pulling out left, right and centre. You've got kit men going to buy blue kits because Chelsea don't have a kit without a sponsor. You have a budget of £20,000 to travel to an away game. Well, where, where, where do we start and, and where do we go and where's the end? You know, like it, it's it, it's a seismic day. Yeah, it's it's an unbelievable situation in many ways, Dan. Um, I'd start by if I am now a part owner of Chelsea Football Club because I sell my part um, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, but no, I, it, it's obviously and seriously, it's a, a seismic day. Uh, I think the sort of the true extent of of what it means now to be to be owned by um someone who is subject to sanctions has become clear uh it was interesting when the news first broke this morning that the roman Bromwich was going to face sanctions and chelsea were essentially going to be treated as a seized asset for those purposes um one of the first things i said to to a friend i was on a a, a group chat with on on whatsapp was it'll be interesting to see what happens now with the sponsors and whether they stick with them. And obviously, as you've already alluded to, this afternoon, three have, have asked for their logos to be removed from Chelsea um, kits. Uh, I don't think yet they've formally terminated the sponsorship agreement, unless that's happened in the last you know couple of hours when I've been finishing finishing off bits of work. Um, it's certainly something that I think bears bears watching because... What is essentially happening now is Chelsea have no access to Roman Abramovich's money. Now, we don't know exactly what Chelsea's financial model has been because of the way they're owned. They they aren't obliged to put as much of their financial management information into the public domain, being privately owned as they are. Um, so we don't quite know how their accounts work. We know that the club has been making moves in recent years to become more self-sufficient and less reliant on um, Roman Abramovich's money, uh, but that has been on the basis of a transfer policy that we've talked about on on this podcast previously, where they identify young players, develop them, sell them on a big profit. Um, you know, quite often, quite often, young players they've bought as a, as a 16, 17, 18 year old. Now they're not going to be allowed to do that to raise funds. We don't know how much liquidity there is in the club. You know, how much money do Chelsea, to put it in the simplest terms, how much money do Chelsea have in the club bank account? Because that is relevant now, because they are only able to access those funds. Whereas previously, you know, if they needed uh, money that they potentially had access to the resources of Roman Abramovich, they now literally have to run the club on what is in the bank account. Um, They don't have the ability to sell tickets. That's clearly going to drain... 
um, income as well that they would normally have. They can't sell players. That's going to take away a, a route of income. The question is, how much money do Chelsea have in the bank account? How long can that sustain them? And then happens with a sale. So the way I understand the rules of seizure is, in a normal world, um, in a normal situation, so if this was just a company that Roman Abramovich owned that made widgets or whatever else, you know, made parts for cars, um, the the reality would be he would be prevented from selling that asset while it is under seizure and subject to seizure by the, the UK government or, or, in fact, any other government. Um, now, because Chelsea is classed as a cultural asset, well, you have your own views, Dan, on whether that's an accurate description of what Chelsea Football Club is. But, you know, clearly to Chelsea fans and people who, who, who live in that area, it, it could be perceived in that way. Um, the government have sort of said that they are potentially open to a sale still being agreed um, while the club is technically a seized asset, so long as they are reassured that... Um, there's no way of that money finding its way to Abramovich. Um, uh, so I think the um, the question really is, do Chelsea have enough money in the bank to sustain themselves through what is going to be a very difficult time with no way of generating extra resources until such time as a sale that the government is willing to approve can be agreed? Um and how quickly can that happen? Because, you know, it feels almost a bit sort of blasé to be talking about things like transfer markets, given the bigger picture here than the reason that these measures have been taken. But, you know, it, it's not that far from the end of the season. That is traditionally the time when football clubs, you know, reshape their squads, trade assets, uh and set themselves up for the following season. And I think the question would be how much scope are Chelsea going to have to operate in that way in the summer? Um, if they aren't in the position to operate in that way in the summer, what does that mean for Thomas Tuchel's future? Is he going to stick around? What does it mean for players whose maybe contracts are expiring? And I've not had time to look and, and see how many people that, that applies to, but technically at the moment the club would be prevented from offering a new contract. There is a lot going on here and and the questions are how much do they have in the bank and how quickly can a um, government agreed takeover be, be, uh, you know, come to fruition? Yeah, I mean, just just on the liquidity, I mean, I I read the the weekly wage bill, something like 28 million or something like that. I mean, they're going to have to have a fair bit in the piggy bank um, to to keep that going for even just, you know, a few weeks. sort of ramifications of it will will come out obviously i think everyone's just been in, in a bit of a state of shock today but i'm sure it will all start to emerge and unravel over the next few few hours days and, and weeks as to what exactly all of this um you know all of this means um the one, one sort of thought or question i had is i mean is is there any way you know this a lot of this comes from this you know the terms of this special license that they've granted right on on, on account of them being a that's on account of them being a cultural asset, right? That they've not been completely frozen as an entity. They're still yeah. being allowed to operate. I mean, these are essentially, you know, this is quite unprecedented, isn't it? There's no sort of, I don't know how much of a guidebook there is for this stuff, you know, presumably someone or a group of people have sat down. 
these terms around you know the costs for travel and and things like that um you know so i don't i mean i don't know if there's any process where you know they'll get round a table with chelsea and if there's a way to i don't know if appeal is the right word or, or negotiate or whatever I, I don't know if there's any scope for that but we, we'd sort of it's so unprecedented i don't know if anyone really knows because i don't think this sort of thing has really happened before has it no, so I look. I haven't had much of a chance to to research um, today the the rules that apply to cultural assets and how often they've been triggered in the past and how sort of fixed they are. Um, one would imagine that there is a guide, a set of guidelines somewhere, um, and I think the reason it exists actually is more thinking about you know. Uh, things like our steel industry, which is quite heavily foreign owned now what would happen if uh if you know british steel or, or whatever it's now called i forget what fancy name it's now got what what would have happened if if that was russian owned for example and, and something like this had occurred or indeed what has happened if that's you know owned by the the, the slightly dodgy company that does own it um and yeah. uh, and and we had issues with with that country so um there are a set of rules there. There are a set of guidelines, how flexible they are, how fixed they are, whether they're in statute or whether they're just um, in published guidance. I haven't had a chance really to look into that this afternoon because um, they'll be the interesting questions to, to answer. I have seen that Chelsea have said that they would like to negotiate with the government on things like the travel um, costs so that the club can continue to operate properly because otherwise I think they'll be getting the... Uh, Megabus. Yeah, getting the megabus to the ibis. <laughs> um, yeah, megabus to Lille for a Champions League game tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or next week, whenever that that Champions League game that they're supposed to play is. Um, I think it's a really fair question. I imagine the twenty thousand pound for travel. That's in the cultural asset guidance because what they're really thinking about is the limit that a company chief executive for a seized company should have to, you know, jet off to meetings. I think that's probably what that, what that limitation Not for a squad of players. For. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably what that was designed for rather than a group of um, millionaire footballers who used to travel in on private jets mm. or certainly chartered planes. Um, and they're suddenly going to be packed into uh, what sort of, the sort of uh, ramshackle coach that, non-league teams travel around yeah. the country well it's also that i mean the fact that obviously big clubs have six seven or eight teams right i mean there's obviously the yeah. men's team the women's team the youth teams and all, all that through the different um you know the reserves and whatnot so it's 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 more than you know if you think about it at that scale it, it becomes quite a quite a burden you know um which is yeah maybe why they i imagine they do want to sort of yeah negotiate them and so on and and, and see if they can if they can change them but uh yeah, we'll we'll have to see. I think the government is going to try and be quite sensible and pragmatic in this case. I think it accepts that it is in almost uncharted territory in terms of, you know, while there may have been instances where these regulations have, have applied or these guidelines have applied before, and I'm not sure if there are or if there aren't, but while there may have been, they are not going to have applied um, to something as internationally recognisable and, uh, you know, significant as Chelsea Football Club um, with all the sort of complexity that trying to treat a football club just as a regular business brings. Um, 
So I think the government will be pragmatic. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear in the next 24, 48 hours that they've managed to negotiate um, some exceptions license around things like, for example, travel costs. Um, it would already have to be an exception to the license if the government were to approve a sale, because um, even under the, the cultural uh, assets license that, that it seems they've been granted, uh, I don't believe that you could normally just sell a seized asset um, while it's subject to a, a seizure. So um, I think the government has shown that it, it, it's going to be pragmatic about this, right? It's not trying to make an example out of Chelsea Football Club. I don't believe anyway. Um, this is about what's going on on the other side of Europe. Uh, and it's about the need to sort of step up uh, its response to the Putin regime and they need to, or they feel that they need to tighten sort of geopolitics podcast um, it kind of chat what's happening to Chelsea and, and, and to a lesser extent Everton and we, we haven't talked about that as much but there are problems at, at Everton as well with the fact that at least Chelsea had some external sponsorship or had some external partners like three, you know, pretty much all of Everton's sponsorship deals are with companies that have links to us. That presumably will be um, frozen in the same way. Uh, so, you know, look, there's a lot of, of really difficult um, questions for the government and for Chelsea to work through. I'm sure they will try and be sensible and pragmatic about the way they do it. I don't think anybody thinks it would be in the interests of the British government or um, <coughs> or the West's efforts uh, in in Ukraine for a casualty of this of this invasion to be to be Chelsea. I don't I don't think anybody thinks that's in the in the best interests of of a solution that that makes sense. I think what you have actually right, punishing Chelsea um, <coughs> because let's let's go back in time. Um, 15 years, let's say, Portsmouth would be under the microscope, wouldn't they? Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not quite quite sure what the situation is with Usmanov at the moment. Is he is he frozen in the UK? I'd have to, I'd have to double check. I know he's definitely been frozen by the EU. Uh, the EU have frozen his assets um, for EU territories, but 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 this is not about tacking. Uh, tackling Chelsea or attacking Chelsea directly. This is about Roman Abramovich and his links with the Kremlin. Now, uh, Abramovich has argued and has argued for a number of years, actually, that his relationship with the Kremlin is no longer um, as strong as, as once it was, and he's no longer as close to Putin as once he was. Um, and I think he's been arguing that even before this this invasion, he he's been sort of trying to say, look, you don't need to fear me. I'm on the West side. I'm not on Putin's side. I've Westernized myself. I think that kind of rings a little bit hollow though when you look at some of the actions that he's then taken in terms of where he has located some of his business dealings, where he's located himself for much of the last sort of decade. Um, you know, he's very, very rarely been seen in London. I know, again, there have been issues about the visa, but he's been very rarely seen at Chelsea for a number of years now, actually, in the flesh. And you compare that to when he first bought the club. Um, 
and we're going back obviously to a time 2003 when when Putin and his government were much more west facing or west facing um but Abramovich was a regular side to Chelsea games had pretty much turned down on him every time they scored a goal so uh I, I think that sort of defence that, that Abramovich puts up of, you can trust me, I'm not Putin's guy. Um, I'm not saying he doesn't stand up to scrutiny, but I think it would need some very, very careful scrutiny before before anyone kind of took that at face value. And it, it, it appears that the government doesn't take it to face value. And, uh, and that's why they've taken the decision they've taken today. That's um, really good. Good insight, thank you, mate. Um, I think like, it, it's difficult because, like, I don't think any of the three, if three of us have time for Chelsea, but this is not about um, Ben Bradley being appointed as manager. As funny as that would be, um, although I think um, Chelsea fans might prefer Ben Bradley of Mansfield uh, MP status to Bob Bradley. Um, given our conversation last week about American coaches. Yeah, it's not about punishing Chelsea. It's about removing them. Like, you, you're quite right to try and do this as safely as possible because um, it's not very often that the culture secretary is right, but she is right that you know, like Chelsea is, is a heritage. And even I would admit that, you know, I'm not... It's well-documented my thoughts on Chelsea. It's a kind of a, a different conversation, but a direction we'll need to go in this is a lot of chickens coming home to roost about the way they've been run for the last 20 years. It's difficult to garner sympathy for them. But yeah. you are right that they have made steps to become a bit more self-sufficient over the last three or four years. But this is after a, a, a gluttony of... Yeah, um, the, the, there's a play with matches, you get burned <laughs> sort of angle to this. That's right, and they've only started to take the steps to become self-sufficient after they've you know, had the wealth injection in the first place that sort of now enabled them to try and become self-sufficient off the back of that. Um, they used, um, you know, the money and assets and influence of Abramovich to get themselves on that platform and that pedestal and then have then made the steps to become less dependent on him. Um, but it's it's obviously his ownership that's that's put them in the position where they're able to do that, right? That is a fair point, Con, because you have to remember they were loss-making under Ken Bates. They were losing money at the end of the Ken Bates, which was why he needed to sell in the in the, in the time frame that he did. So, yeah, I, I think the other thing is, it's not just the sort of way they've been run in terms of financial uh, element, but I think it might come to the sort of broader conversation, Dan, as, as we sort of broaden this out, is this is sort of what football gets for allowing itself to get into bed with any rich person with a sort of slightly sketchy, you know, with all with some questions around their business dealing. I'm not suggesting Roman Abramovich is sketchy. I'm sure he's, uh, you know, he's a very powerful man. I don't know what's going on the wrong side of him. I'm sure he listens to this podcast. Um, I'll toss that aspersion on your behalf. But, you know, I, I, I think this goes broader than Chelsea and it actually goes broader than Russia. And it raises a question about has football as a sport and have the governing bodies um as as you know incompetent at times as they are have they done enough and taken seriously enough the threat that's been posed by football getting into bed with these extremely wealthy individuals um from you know parts of the world with questionable 
human rights records, parts of the world with questionable approaches to dealing with the West. Um, have Is Chelsea just the first sort of domino falling in this sort of world that we've got ourselves into of these billionaires using football clubs as a plaything and and the sort of the sports washing that's come with that um it, it's more than just how chelsea have run themselves as a commercial operation and it, and it goes right to the heart of is it a chicken come home to roost for football and for the premier league in terms of don't allow yourself uh to to, to have one of your you know most famous football clubs purchased and and owned and run by a billionaire oligarch. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that would uh, that would support that. But yeah, it's been, you know, we know how sort of limp-wristed the governance of all that has been um, to the point where it's, you know, practically non-existent, right? I mean, we've just seen only this season the example of Newcastle, right? Um, so, it, yeah, it, football has got itself into that situation it doesn't, or at least prior to today, hadn't you know shown any indication of of, of moving away from it either. Um, whether this will be a, a wake up call, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I guess maybe you know it might depend on what the actual impact ends up being. Um, you know, if if they agree a way to let Abramovich sell the club, which there's still talk of. You know, I know at the moment technically you can't, but there's talk of that being able to happen if if that sort of happens and you know Chelsea sort of more or less end up carrying on as they are and this is just a blip then people might just you know move on but if it does end up having an impact and you know they do run out of money and all of a sudden players leave and all that kind of stuff then you know that might might cause people to to realize you know that this is you know whilst it might be a a far-fetched outcome it is something that can happen if if you go with that sort of ownership model yeah i i think it's a really really fair point and this this is not i should reiterate for for anybody listening that this is not um oh well here are here are three people whose clubs are owned by americans saying you've got to be owned by americans that is absolutely not the case I, you know in an ideal world we'd still be in a position where football clubs could be owned by um people with with deep emotional links and ties to those football clubs um like and ideally problems ideally with involvement from from supporters groups that's what we'd all like as a as an ideal outcome uh and i think allowing football to become the arms race that that one could argue started with roman abramovich i think it could also argue it started before roman abramovich and you know maybe maybe roman brought it to the premier league but it was arguably going on elsewhere in in europe already um but the, the, the questions about Russian ownership and Chinese ownership and Arab ownership of, of big football clubs, this is not the first time it's gone slightly sideways. It's just probably the biggest example of where it's gone seriously sideways. You know, you think about uh, the owner, the um, the owner at Manchester City before the current owners. Uh, was he named Sinawatra? Saxon Sinawatra. Sinawatra. And, and he... Um, you know, he ended up in a position where he got into some sort of political scrape in his homeland and suddenly the club was at risk uh, as a result because his assets were frozen. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've seen situations with with some of the sort of 
questionable human rights records, certainly of the of the owners of of certain other clubs. I, I think this is just the biggest example we've got so far of the risk manifesting itself in a really obvious um, and tangible way. Uh, but that risk has always been there, right? You you get into I keep saying it, but you get into bed with these people. And you know you are running that risk when you do so. And I'm not saying all American businessmen are great, because actually the experience of the Americans, certainly running my club and running Khan's club, has hardly been terrific. Well, um, even from my, like, j- just to come in there, sorry, you're like, you're quite right saying that American owners are no angels. We're only, what, 11 months off the Super League debacle. Yeah, well, quite, quite, Dan. You know, so, so it, it, this is not about... American owners, good. Anyone from the kind of you know Middle East or <laughs> or, or Far East or Russia, bad. It, it, it's not that, but it is saying you know when when football goes away, it's gone. It brings with it inherent risks, and those risks are greater in parts of the world where the approach to things like human rights and the approach to things like governance and the approach to things like. Um, money laundering and financial regulation are very, very different to what they are in, in the UK, in the US and other parts of the, of, you know, what rather patronisingly called the, the sort of civilised Western world. Um, I, I think the risk is greater when you bring in this kind of major culture clash uh, into professional football. Yeah, well, that, that that's it, Paul. It's, um, you know, it, it's never, I mean... Um, this is something we we need to come on as well. You know, like Chelsea and sports washing per se. I I don't think you could accuse them of that, but Manchester City you certainly couldn't. Those are the two teams who have spent the most money. Newcastle are going to be into this firmly, firmly, firmly into the sports washing category very soon. Um, when they start spending money, make a drunken sailor in the summer. It, you know, like it's. It re- this should be a wake-up call. It, it won't be, but it, it should be a wake-up call to... Uh, let's come back to one of our... Certainly one of, one of your favourite topics. The fit and proper person's test. Do you, know, do, do you think there's going to be any kind of impact on that now following this, or is that still the toothless bulldog? We all know it Know it has been in the past. Well, I'd be surprised if there's any immediate reaction. Um, they'll say this is an exceptional circumstance, and of course it is an exceptional circumstance. You know, uh, the the situation in in Ukraine is not something that you should necessarily be planning for because you obviously hope it never happens. But but again, I go back to what he said, what I said before about football. You, you know, in, in all sorts of business, you you do risk mitigation, and I think football has been particularly bad at thinking about and then taking actions to mitigate against the risks that you face when you open ownership up to kind of all and sundry in the way that it's done and inviting these super rich, super wealthy individuals from part of the world where, you know, there is a different set of standards that apply. Um, and, and whether that means long-term you look at your sort of domestic internal regulations around fit and proper person's test or or any of the other tests that you barriers that you put in place before you allow someone to buy one of one of England's top football clubs, you would hope so. But I'd be surprised if there's any immediate reaction. Well, one question that I've got, and I, I, I am no expert on such matters, is there any 
possibility that Chelsea could go into administration? Well, technically, yes. I mean, if, if, if they can't pay their bills, yes. Uh, and this comes back to the point that Khan and I started with, really, which is how much money is in the bank. And Khan's point about £28 million a week in, uh, in wage bill, um, when you're not able to offset some of that by selling tickets, which Chelsea are not as of the current moment in time, um, you can only go to a Chelsea game now if you're a Chelsea season ticket holder. There's a question there for Premier League as well, by the way, which is what does it do about away fans? Because technically, away fans can't buy tickets to Chelsea. That is either. an incredibly good point, which I hadn't considered. Um, you know, so the question there about do Chelsea now play in front of a home-only crowd uh, and how does that comply with the regulations about away fans? Um, now, I know we made some exceptions for that in the early days of, of the kind of coming back into grounds post post COVID, so maybe maybe there's a precedent there. I don't know, but um, when you're spending twenty eight million pound a week and you can't offset that with income, it isn't going to take long to run down those reserves, and so it could get to the point where they can't pay their bills. That's why I think the Premier League and the government will want a very quick resolution of this. I think the original theory was that bidders for the club would have to make themselves known by the 15th of March. Now, I suppose there might be a bit of an extension to that deadline, given people may want to longer to kind of consider all the implications, given given what's happened today. And it's probably right that that that, that happens. Um, but I think there'll be a, a desire not to push that date too far into the future, because it's in everyone's best interest that this is resolved quickly. And that really means Chelsea being sold to somebody who is able to run the football club in the proper way. Uh, now, again, it comes back to the, the problem, right? That previously you get rid of a rich billionaire, you replace it with a rich billionaire. Well, is that the route football wants to go down? And if so, is it going to put any more parameters around who that might be than, than it would normally? Is the government involved being involved going to mean that there is more scrutiny than there would normally be if this was just a, a, you know the Newcastle situation where um, you didn't quite have that same level of, of government specific scrutiny you just had the fit and proper persons test being applied and apparently uh, a, a government where um, you can flog people to death being homosexual are fit and proper people to own a football club apparently well you know the fit and proper person's test is neither fit nor proper is it that's the reality yes yes quite and um, the Saudis are not fit and proper owners of any football club uh, but that's going to make me sound bitter and jealous about a team that spend money and you know I, I, I freely admit I, I don't like Manchester City I think they're terrible for the game um, but yeah, I mean they're not in this position of um, being seen to possibly be funding uh, an invasion, but um, they are very definitely in the sports washing camp. And something's going to change. With no, no, no club is innocent in this in, in the Premier League. I would suggest that there's curious. I always raise my eyebrow when Wolves signed the, the latest Portuguese international, uh, although they haven't done that this summer. Um, not spent as much recently, so yeah, I, I don't think you, 
I don't think any club, probably any football club in the, the top two divisions, is innocent of some kind of transgression somewhere. But it's, it's just the, the era we live in. It's the it's the money era. Um, I think going back to your your question, Paul, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if there is that much. There might be sort of media and fan scrutiny or whatever, but I'd, 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 I don't know if it would make too much difference. I think from the, it sounds like from the, the sort of government perspective, it's just more about making sure that. Um, that you know that, that Abramovich doesn't personally benefit financially from the sale, but who um, buys the club is I, I I think will just be left to the the normal process. Um, but we'll wait and see. There's there's apparently ten people or groups. There's a sort of a long list of of uh, people who might, who were interested, shall we say, who may still be interested. Um, but yeah, you're right. We'll wait and see whether that deadline gets extended or not, and whether that group shrinks down potentially given what's happened today or or what happens but i'm like i'm sure the next few days will be will be fascinating in terms of how it how it unravels when do uh when did g4 g4s get named as the preferred bidders because <laughs> that's only a matter of time away sure the G, g4s yeah. run everything in this country so yeah D- dido harding will be putting a consortium <laughs> together i was going to say <laughs> Either that or somebody who's got a friend in the uh, in the Conservative Party. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, Randolph's health. Can they be for Chelsea? Are they, uh, are they allowed? Yeah, Cress is a dick will be in charge of match day policing. <laughs> it'll, it'll be like um, on WWE when the ring is surrounded by bad guys who are constantly interfering. <laughs> Uh, I think we've we've kind of covered that. Unless there's any last kind of shots we want to fire. And again, you know, like it, this isn't. Um, I really admit I don't like Chelsea, but it's not a set shots at Chelsea. And this is a serious discussion about about what, what happens because Paul, you you have knowledge and understanding that the average person doesn't. So thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, it's definitely not about attacking Chelsea. This, this could be anybody, and I think that's kind of my point that. Would you open yourself up to this? Today it's Chelsea because it's Russia and it's Abramovich. But this could be anybody. You know, if if we have a situation three or four years' time where for some reason uh, the UK falls out and the US falls out with the Middle East and, and, and that affects the Saudis, then it, it could be other clubs in this position. So, you know, it, this is not a Chelsea issue. It is a broader football issue that has been brought to light by what's happened today and and the way that that will affect Chelsea. And that has knock-on effects, and we've just touched on some of them. You know, away fans coming to games in the Premier League and everything else. So it's football-relevant. But, um, but yeah, this this is about the way that football governs itself and who owns football. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's a day for some introspection into how we've got ourselves in that position. And of course, um, Saudi Arabia have been bombing Yemen for the last five years or so, but quite nothing ever gets said about that. Um, not as fashionable, obviously. Um, if I start kind of stop being horribly cynical now, um, anything else caught your eye in the footballing world over the last week or so? And I, I, I know that this is we we can't not do something about about the, the Chelsea situation, but for me, um, I thought Leeds looked a lot more organised at Leicester at the weekend. They thought they was unlucky to lose. Yeah, I, I think in a similar vein, Dan, I thought the, the standout result of the weekend was, was Brentford winning Norwich. Because uh, I think if Brentford didn't win that game, they were right in the mire. 
and they and they did. You'll look at their fixtures remaining. They've still got some really, really difficult games, Brentford, and I don't know how many more wins there are there for them. So I don't think it takes Brentford kind of in any way out of the relegation battle. I think Newcastle, I'm pretty confident now, are going to be okay. But Brentford, Leeds, Everton, all very much in it. Everton were, were beyond dreadful on Monday night. I don't know if they even, like, they did not try. I mean, people were talking about whether Manchester United tried in the last 25 minutes on Sunday. Everton didn't try in the last 85 minutes on, on Monday night. There, there were um, sanctions against football for Everton. Yeah, quite. Certainly sanctions against defending. Um, you know, so the, the relegation fight continues to be uh, a bit of a mystery. It was it was a good weekend for Tottenham and Arsenal, wasn't it, in the in the race for the top four with uh, United losing and Wolves losing um, and, uh, and West Ham losing. So... It it it, does, it is starting to feel like it's going to be one of the North London clubs for that fourth spot, um, and and we'll see kind of how it how it goes from here. That North London derby that got rearranged for the COVID outbreak is starting to loom large. Uh, but I think yeah, in terms of the title race, it, it's as you were. Manchester City were very impressive on on Sunday, but I think when we talked about that in depth last week, all of us expecting Manchester City to win that game anyway, so <coughs> it, it's kind of as you were really in terms of in terms of the race at the top. Yeah, I think that's fair and yeah, no no real wish to go into the game in any more detail if I'm honest. Um but yeah I think I I've I've more or less sort of started to give up hope on the on the on the top four now and I think, you know, we talked about Arsenal being in the driving seat and I, I you know, I know Spurs are sort of up there as well and have a couple of games, but you do feel like Arsenal have got not only the games in hand, I mean, you've got the three fixtures we said on United, but just the fact that you know, you're playing so well and in such good form, um, you know, you, you'd think you'd easily get the points needed. Um, I'm definitely helped by the fact that we play Leicester this weekend and there's no Jamie Vardy because he always, <laughs> always, always <laughs> the average. Yeah, yeah. He's getting a few um, few more bangs and bruises these days, Jamie Vardy, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's 35, so... Yeah, he's, he's, not, the football. he's not featured as much this season, as he, for, for Leicester, due to either injury or just not selection. It does feel like he's being sort of phased out, if you like. I still think there's a question of who is exactly the, the sort of longer-term replacement for him, but yeah, he's not, not been as prominent... Uh, this season compared to other seasons. Well, Pats and Dakers look good every time um, I've seen him play. His, his return this season is quite good as well. He, he scores some goals in Europe, hasn't he? I, I don't think he's quite had the same impact in the Premier League, but we've seen this before, right? The Premier League's a tough league to adjust to, and, and it, it, he is the kind of player who looks as though he might come on for the trip, to use a, a horse racing expression, and we're only a few days away from the festival. Um it wouldn't surprise me if, if Pats and Dakar had quite a big year next year. Well, it's it's going to be a big summer for Leicester, isn't it? Stick or twist, because the, the signs to me that Brendan's about done the. I've I've seen this this story unfold. Mm-hmm. If they if they lose six one on the last day of the season, yeah, then you'll know it's that's your lot. Uh, anything from the Championship, Paul, or, or the Football League? 
No, not really, Dan. I mean, I, I've not had, to be honest, I've not had a chance to have a, a major look because obviously we were focusing this evening on the on the Chelsea story. I did, I did notice Derby, Derby won and kept themselves. You know, we talked about the bottom of the Championship level. <coughs> Derby kept themselves in with a fighting chance. I mean, they're still five points behind them, played a game more. But every time you're just about to write Derby offers, that's it. They're down. They seem to get a result from somewhere. And I think there, there won't be many neutrals who, who don't kind of want Derby to survive this year, given everything they've had to go through. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that was, again, without having had a proper chance to look at it, that was the, the one that caught my eye from the weekend. Mm, Wayne Rooney relegation. Mm. <laughs> Said neutral, Dan. <laughs> yes, well, well that, that's, that's very fair. I'm just a horrible person, really. Uh, there's nothing really much to deviate from with that um, right well this has kind of been a, like a, a special episode. we weren't going to record this week but um, we kind of felt we had to with with the Chelsea situation and, and what's going down there so yep we would like to thank you all for listening um, don't forget you can catch us on Spotify Podbean, iTunes Amazon Music and Google Podcasts you click subscribe you'll get every episode that we make um, we'll be back. Uh, we're hoping next week, but uh, we'll, we'll just have to see because we're all all busy chaps, chaps at the moment. So thank you for listening, and we'll catch you again after a while. <laughs>